I think what makes the DEI space so unique is so many people in our country are uncomfortable talking about race. So anything around diversity, equity, and inclusion, it can be uncomfortable. How do you create a culture where everyone feels safe and valued? Ironically, it involves getting out of your comfort zone. And we have to move past the discomfort in order to move forward. So we have to have the conversations. Both sides have to be willing to listen and have to be willing to have a conversation that's meaningful to either agree and move forward or agree to disagree and move forward. So let's get this out of the way. Conversations about race, gender, and sexuality are tough to have no matter who you are. You may feel like you don't know enough or you don't want to hurt anybody. You don't want to stick your neck out or rock the boat, but they are essential. Without them, we'll never make progress towards a future that's fairer for everybody. So we're going to have one of those honest conversations on the podcast today about implementing diversity, equity, and inclusion changes in your business to inspire you to start the discussion at your workplace. The person leading those conversations at Cadence Bank is our incomparable Chief Diversity Officer, Myra Caldwell. She's joined today on the podcast by Tori Farmer, Executive Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at KPMG. Tori and Myra work together to shape the DE&I strategy at Cadence Bank. Since our merger with BankCorp South, that work has grown to encompass more than 6,500 teammates. Together, we'll talk about evaluating your business, establishing measurable goals, and approaches that have worked for Cadence since we started our program. So let's get down to business, the business of diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm Myra Caldwell, and I'm the Chief Diversity Officer here at Cadence Bank. And I'm Tori Farmer. I'm the Executive Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion with KPMG. So Myra, you were in Treasury Management before you took the role, 10 years, I believe, around. Now you're Chief Diversity Officer. So Can you talk a little bit about that role, why it was created, and and what led you to want that role and and to seek it out? You're correct. I was here about nine years at Cadence prior to the CDO role becoming available. I worked originally as the Director of Product Development in our Treasury Management space, went on to be an executive in our Treasury Operations and Deposit Operations space. But I think when George Floyd murders happened, we, like other companies, other individuals, you know, looked at our programs and said, what are we doing and are we doing it with intentionality? How can we make it better? And that was really kicked off by our CEO at the time, Paul Murphy, who started to ask questions to women and minorities in the company and and held his own listening sessions. You know, what was it to work at Cadence as a woman, as a minority? And getting ideas for how we could be more intentional about the program. One of those ideas was to have some structure around a diversity program. While we already had our council in place, we thought getting a structure and a strategy together and naming a CDO at the company that could help guide us through that journey. And so I was absolutely honored to serve the company in this role. Cadence knew that it wanted some outside perspective when developing our DE&I program, which is how Tori and KPMG entered the picture. KPMG is a large global firm, and they've been on this journey for many years. They have very successfully implemented their Accelerate 2025 program that we were familiar with and knew it to be impressive and impactful. When we looked for 
a vendor who could match what we wanted to do or thought we needed to do, we knew that they had the advisory team and the capability and the experience to help us lay a foundation that would fit our culture for who we were. So we were absolutely delighted to partner with KPMG. Well, KPMG was engaged to support Cadence Bank with a desired state for their DEI strategy, as Myra mentioned, that would really differentiate the organization in the financial industry. Building upon the incredible foundation that the Cadence Bank DEI Council already had in place. So definitely want to acknowledge that. And they were looking for a thought partner who were equally committed to this journey to assist them with defining the recognizable results based on the DEI priorities they wanted to set and achieve. So Tori, DEI has become a very common acronym, and I think most people know what it stands for, but maybe for those that are unfamiliar with the terminology, could you explain what it stands for and what it encompasses? So diversity represents everyone and acknowledges the unique characteristics, experiences, and qualities we all have. I identify as an introvert, a caregiver, a cisgender female of African descent with Southern roots and a Midwestern upbringing who is deeply guided by my faith and my values. As an example, equity is about accessibility and the opportunity to ensure that fair treatment and resources are afforded to all versus a select few. And then inclusion is really the experience that people have within a culture. Are there in-groups or out-groups? So inclusion is the intentionality of valuing diversity and striving for equity. I feel very strongly that inclusivity has to be in the day-to-day experience that people have, and it has to be fully integrated into all parts of the business. And so if you think about what's required for onboarding and integration of new joiners, how are they immediately indoctrinated into the culture and recognize that inclusion is linked to values? If it's intentionally discussed as a part of your business strategy, meaning with your senior leadership team and your board of directors, is it a part of your employee engagement survey or pulse survey so that you have active listening channels to really understand how people are experiencing the organization day to day. And then I firmly believe that it has to be baked into the learning and development, the ethics and integrity, so that it's values, it's culture, what's expected of leadership. These are not things that can happen on the periphery. They have to be fully embedded into all of the different ways that people are recognized, rewarded, selected for visible, influential roles within the organization. Myra, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, I think most people believe it's the right thing to do. But uh, do you still have to sell it to some people? Does it make them nervous uh, that you start talking about this? And do they think this is affirmative action? I mean, how, how do they view this? Yeah, there are, of course, people who believe it's still affirmative action, which, of course, we know it's not just based on the definition that Tori just gave to us. You know, I think of this work more in terms of bringing awareness to inclusion concepts, to unbiased training, allyship training, 
offering all of us to really take the opportunity to learn and unlearn things we've known for many, many years and apply those in a new way of working with those who don't look like us. People are willing usually to participate in that sort of change, right? It can be uncomfortable. It can be uncomfortable on an individual level. It can be uncomfortable collectively as we move through the journey. But meeting people where they are, as we talk about this often at Cadence, is important. At the same time, as we learn and unlearn, we also have to start applying those lessons as we're going through that training so that we have a continuous, if you will, change that's happening every day as we're on this journey. So I don't think of it in terms of selling an idea. I think that most people want to do the right thing. Uh, like any other change management um, strategy that you take on, there's going to be those who disagree. And I tend to focus on those who want to move forward. So you don't really try to convince those that are reluctant to jump on board, but rather get those that are on board already to really go out and show things and hopefully pull the others along? I'm not sure convincing is a strategy, right? Yeah, I can't sell you what you don't want to buy, no matter how great it is. But I think what we can do is bring awareness and show the shared value for our company as a whole as we move forward together with a different lens of inclusion. That was so well said, Myra. I completely agree with everything. I would only add that people often ask, and they used to do it years ago, but it's starting to resurface. What's the business case for DEI? And I would say every time a new person joins your company, every time someone leaves, every time someone gets promoted or not, sees themselves represented in the ranks of leadership or not, every time a client or a customer communicates that their expectation is that DEI is just as important to you as it is to them, that's the business case. So that's dynamically happening every day in every part of your business. I'm going to harken back to something you said, Myra, that convincing isn't a strategy. So even though you're not going to convince, what do you do to engage those that seem just opposed to the, to the idea? I mean, do you engage them at all? I, I would, what's the approach with, with those folks? Absolutely. I do. And I have, because again, it's important to understand where people are coming from. And I don't engage to have an argumentative, combative conversation, but I engage to make sure I understand that perspective and maybe why that perspective exists. If I have information that counters that, I may obviously ask to share that and ask them to consider another perspective. But absolutely, it happens. It's going to happen with any change you attempt to make. I think what makes the DEI space so unique is so many people in our country are uncomfortable talking about race. So anything around diversity, equity, and inclusion, it can be uncomfortable. And we have to move past the discomfort in order to move forward. So we have to have the conversations. Both sides have to be willing to listen and have to be willing to have, you know, a conversation that's meaningful to either agree and move forward or agree to disagree and move forward. 
So a business comes to you and they say, we want to make our, our business, our, our working environment more equitable. Where do you start? It's a daunting task if a business realizes there's some issues. You know, so how, how do you start? Where do you start? It's an aspirational objective if you say that you want to make your business more equitable because it requires that you look at every aspect of your business. So the concept of equity can literally be applied to many things. So the initial step is really to assess through both qualitative and quantitative data where the gaps are. Is that a gap in representation, in experience, outcomes of certain talent processes like performance or compensation? So a very holistic approach would be to really start with the data and let that guide you where you need to make the investments. I'm curious, do companies who feel like they, um, from a qualitative basis, have done some good things, are they surprised sometimes when they, when they break down the data and, and some trends, I assume, kind of pop out fairly clearly in, in, in some instances? It's a great question. And Patrick, what I will share is that for most organizations who do have this data available to them, it's all about how you mine it and what you're looking for. Because they're likely, if you're approaching an equity audit, there likely have been some red flags and some signals of cracks in the foundation along the way that maybe at a point in time, it wasn't something that was prioritized. So to really inform the assessment, you're looking for that evidentiary information, those key performance indicators associated with, again, how your people are experiencing that culture and that organization. So just to you know, give you an example, in performance development, it would be important to look at your total population, how many people are eligible for promotion, how many are promoted by demographic. You want to look at your non-management as well as into and within management promotions. If you have a rating system and some organizations still use things like the nine box, you would look at who falls into the upper tier versus the lower tier. And is there any particular group that's over indexing in one particular piece of this puzzle or not? If, if you're looking at attrition, you might want to look at your data geographically or regionally, again, by level, or are you looking at your women? Are you looking at your people of color? And so all of this is incredibly insightful so that when you start to design and build your strategy, you're actually working on the things that need the most improvement. Every plan will be customized, but likely to include similar inputs from talent attraction, talent management, learning and development. And then the, the wraparound to this work is always going to be necessitated with, Myra mentioned this earlier, a change management plan as well as a communications plan. So people understand the value and what the outcomes are intended to be. So let, let's turn to the cadence DEI effort, Myra. What were we assessing at first and what data were we collecting and then, and then how KPMG worked with us specifically? So one of the things that we wanted to do at Cadence was to make sure we embedded the voice of the employee 
in our survey. So regardless of what I may have thought individually we were culturally, we wanted to talk to our employees to really get a good view of how we were doing in that sector. So we um, partnered with KPMG and we asked for initial DEI assessment that included three components. The first one was interviews with our C-suite to really understand where they were in the journey. And as key stakeholders, we really needed to know that information. The second component was a 28-point survey that went out to all of our employees so that we could gauge our efforts there. And that, again, gave us the voice of the employee as we thought about this data and feedback how we would be using it to create a strategy. So that was probably one of the most important components of the assessment. And then lastly, third part was really holding focus groups around themes that we were hearing coming out of uh, the 28-point survey, which, by the way, we had a 63% response rate, so many of our employees were interested. Once those survey responses were in hand, Myra had to make some strategic decisions about how to interpret them. I asked her what stood out from the evaluation process. One of the ones I'll focus on for right now was what are our strengths? Because I think that when you start with strengths, you're able to leverage that strength uh, and move forward. And one of the strengths that KPMG found in our study was Cadence employees are great at relationships. And so we are great at building relationships internally. We're great at building relationships with our clients and customers. And so how do we leverage that strength as part of the diversity, equity, and inclusion program? And then like, you know, companies everywhere, we knew that representation metrics could be improved. That was why one of the first things that we had done was to work on our metrics. We knew that learning was a key component to kick off our strategy. You know, just having the ability to talk about difficult topics was instrumental in helping us start the conversations. So that was something that we saw in the survey and we implemented right away. Cadence had the ability to appoint a chief diversity officer and hire a top-notch consulting firm like KPMG to help formulate our DEI strategy. What if you're a small company without those resources? What do you do then? Tori, not all companies either can afford or just have enough personnel to have a a chief diversity officer or a a DEI officer. How do those companies go about fostering this positive environment without, or can you do it without having somebody dedicated to it? Good question. You know, even with a centralized team, the tone from the top can trigger the right behaviors across the organization. I think that has to be a non-negotiable. And then the business leaders can adopt best practices to make sure that they are integrating diversity, equity, and inclusion in their hiring practices and their decision processes, how they're looking at development and, you know, career paths and opportunities for their talent communities and making sure that there's clearly diverse representation in management, leadership, and in their succession planning. So in the absence of having a center of excellence around this that would deploy out resources and best practices to the organization, 
I think there's no shortage of information in the public domain that could guide an organization and that they would be able to, to benchmark themselves to ensure that they're making steady progress. The one thing, Patrick, that I would just add on, on to that is, and Myra said this earlier, it's everybody's role. There's some of us that have been deputized to help lead and implement the strategic pieces of it. But in terms of organizations having inclusive cultures, every single person in that company has a responsibility to make sure that their colleagues and their counterparts feel that inclusivity. We all contribute to it. So it, it doesn't just all fall on the shoulders of the un, underrepresented groups to go out and, and say, here, you need to include me. This needs to be a team effort all the way around. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, Patrick, there are people within each demographic that w- don't want to talk about this at work. Again, meeting people where they are. But I often tell Paul, if I'm the only person in the bank talking about DEI, you probably should fire me. I have not done my job, right, to execute our strategy to make sure we're all participating in what that change is. Speaking up is necessary from all of us. It's helping the company to move forward. Myra, uh, the time horizon on these initiatives has got to vary, you know, greatly. What are some of the things that the companies you'll see put in place immediately? And, and Tori, this is also to you. The companies put in place immediately that are the easier to implement. And what are some of the longer term, you know, that there really has to be a commitment to a long term strategy to get you there? Yeah. So for Cadence, you know, we were able to do uh, some things immediately. One of them last quarter, fourth quarter 2020, we were able to release our initial run at our data and analytics around DEI. Now, of course, that leads into setting accountability measures later in the, in the day, but being able to gather our analytics in a way that we could present that to our executive management and our board and to begin talking about who we were as a corporation and how do we get better some of those uh, programs require, again, that we meet a company or meet our executive management or whoever we're speaking to where they are, but at the same time, continue to make progress in the space. Myra hit it spot on. It's both short-term and long-term. I think for most organizations, this really boils down into two key components. How are you changing structural inequity, whether that's real or perceived. So looking at your talent processes, those things might take a little longer because that's an organizational shift. um, And there's likely some dependencies built into that. So it's probably something that may have a one to three year timeframe to adopt a different system. The second piece of that is the behavioral changes that need to happen building it into performance management, your leadership development competencies. How are you actually even selecting talent for leadership roles? Those things could be a little bit more short term because you're encouraging people to adopt a different way of evaluating talent and making decisions. As Tori talked about before, it takes everybody, and that's certainly been the case here at Cadence. 
I asked Myra about the incredible program she's developed and how she successfully integrated so many Cadence employees. So Myra, your team has done just a, a bunch of incredible work. I want you to highlight a few of the programs, or a few of the things that your team has put together that I think have really helped jumpstart this effort and really, I think, develop buy-in across the bank by and large. We have a great DEI council of over 53 employees across their entire footprint who participate in one of three subcommittees. And so the first one, Thriving Talent, really looks at the employee life cycle from when you're a prospective employee through retirement. So they're interested in all the aspects of the HR component and work very closely with our HR department. They were able to very early on review our benefits and through those recommendations and review, we were able to implement a better short-term benefit that supports family and family life changes. They were also in that subcommittee able to help us get involved with Texas Southern University's Future Banking Leadership Program that was an inaugural program here in Houston at Texas Southern University, one of the oldest HBCUs in the country, who started that program to help develop a pipeline of bankers. We were able to be involved in terms of getting to know students, participating in the program, adding to curriculum, but not only that, also offering internships for students in the program. So we were very excited to participate in that. Our Embrace We team is the second subcommittee. They are focused on our employees' sense of belonging. And so through this group, we have been able to introduce this year our Lift Every Voice series. And this is where employees are nominated or self-nominated to come and talk about their lived experience and to provide us with cultural awareness. That is a series that is posted to our internal social media and other employees can engage, comment, like, or ask questions. And so that's been very successful for us. Also in the Embrace We team, we have introduced Courageous Conversations. And these are conversations where we invite a guest or a panel of guests to talk about a series of questions unique to a specific underserved group. One of these Courageous Conversations that particularly affected me was all about the talk. The conversation that Black and other minority parents have with their children about how to keep interactions with police from turning violent. It shocked some people who had never heard of the conversation, but also gave the opportunity to enlighten some who may have not had to have that conversation with their children to really understand. And when you start talking about unpacking what people bring into the office every day, that's some of the stuff. You can't take that off. It comes with you. And so really make, making sure that our employees feel like they're in a safe place that we understand and that mentally we're here to support that. Myra also makes sure that DEI goes beyond the walls of the office. The last team, the third uh, subcommittee is Visible Value. And Visible Value is all about how we show up to the community. How do we serve the community who relies on us for the services that we offer? So they look at our charitable contributions, where our philanthropic efforts but more importantly, is it more than a philanthropic effort? So the non-for-profits 
or the small businesses that we try to support, their objectives and goals, are there opportunities for us to conduct financial literacy training? Are there opportunities for us to show up at a volunteer event with employees who are also interested in that particular community cause um, and keeps them also engaged and keeps make sure that we are engaged in what's important to our employees and what's important to our customers? So that team visible value focuses on community, and supplier diversity. So we are really happy this year to roll out our supplier diversity portal as well that helps us to ascertain where are we in supplier diversity and manage those metrics to make sure we continue to improve to address things like the wealth gap, to make sure that underrepresented communities and businesses are able to bid on products and services that we may need. So the visible value team is very, very important to how we show up in the community. Of course, your company's DEI efforts will be affected by broader trends as well. So we're, we're in a unique moment here, which we, you know, we, some people have dubbed the great resignation. There's retirements. People have just kind of dropped out of the workforce. How is that affecting DEI efforts? And are companies with strong diversity, are they more attractive to potential employees? And how does the job market affect trying to meet diverse hiring goals? The mobility of talent right now is really requiring companies to look at all of their initiatives. So this is us being very surgical at what we are offering in terms of that value proposition that would keep people. Because let's be honest, every organization is trying to retain their underrepresented talent. And so this means we have to look at compensation, benefits, our wellness, and focus on the investments that really support career development and career exploration, activating, mentoring, sponsorship. And so everything that we could possibly do to retain our underrepresented talent is on the table right now. And I would say with the increased focus on ESG and transparency reporting, as more organizations are, are starting to release those types of reports, prospective talent have access to a lot of information to evaluate their prospective employer. I don't think having, truthfully, DEI initiatives in place is enough. I think our future employees will want to really understand how are we living that? Like, how is it embedded into the culture, into the values, so that they can assess the cultural fit of their future employers? So they're going to do that through a lot of different ways, by speaking with people that work for the company, left the company, looking at social information that's available to them, and really doing their due diligence of figuring out whether or not this is someplace they want to be. That makes sense. I mean, we've had EEO posters up for, I don't know how many years. I mean, this is something we were supposedly doing for 20, 30, 40 years now. And I think it's just now really, truly taking hold. The pandemic has taught us so many things. I think it's also was part of the impetus to the great resignation as well, as people rethought what their values were and what were they getting from their companies. I saw a really good quote yesterday that said, the war on talent is over, talent won. And so, you know, how do we address that as a company to make sure, as Tori mentioned early, not only that we retain top talent, have succession plannings for top talent, and really just ensure that the inclusion experience 
is there for all the underrepresented groups because attracting and having in your pipeline is one thing. If you don't have that inclusion piece embedded in your company culture, it will be very hard to keep that tell. As a first-time CDO, Myra has learned a lot. First and foremost, to have patience and trust the strategy that's been developed. I think for practitioners or CDOs in the space, I would say for me in my short time in the space, what I've learned is to trust the process. If you are strategically focused or task focused, you really like to see things move fastly, have results and report. We're, we're used to that in the banking industry, the results and report. This work may not move at that same rate and process, but it should keep moving. I don't want to say it should slow down or stop. It should keep moving and trust that process. You know, measure for who you are, not what other companies have done and will do in this space to get their company moved forward, but what works for your culture and your company. And then, you know, just approach DEI like you would approach any strategic initiative in the company. It has to have the support of your leadership. It will definitely not survive without that support. It has to have a strategic plan. It has to meet the goals and objectives and bottom lines of the company so that it can be embedded into the strategic plan. And lastly, that it takes everybody in the company to make it work. I think in its simplest form, it's about kindness to humans, respect to humans, and equity to humans. Before we wrap up, I want to acknowledge that an important part of this work is confronting your own limitations. Missteps are inevitable, but to move forward, you have to understand that when you make a mistake, it just means there's more room to grow. One of the things I've found in several of the um, CDO groups that I'm sure Tori and I are both a part of is self-awareness, no matter what your role is in the company, including the chief diversity officer, is so important. When we talk about bias, when we talk about unconscious bias, everybody has unconscious bias. And so for me, no matter how many places I have traveled internationally, how many cultures I've experienced, how many times I've lived overseas, it was important to me to always have the self-awareness that I do not and could not possibly feel everything someone who doesn't look like me, identify like me, would feel, no matter how much education I had obtained through other means. So always being self-aware of your own biases, I think is critically important in this role. I love what Myra just said. And for me, it's the gift of imperfection. Every time I have had a misstep, every time I've used the wrong pronoun, despite knowing how someone has asked me to refer to them, every time I've just missed the mark on something cultural, it has been a learning opportunity for me. And I refer to it as the gift of imperfection. I'm never and should never be expected to always get it 100% right because that's, that's not even possible. But I certainly earnestly try my best. And when I have those missteps, I use them as teachable moments, as I would expect for anybody else. So, Tori, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. How are we doing? 
what grade would you give Cadence right now on, on what we've done? Well, I would have to say that I am now biased because I have had the pleasure of not only working very closely with Myra, but just seeing all the great accomplishments that have come from the recommendations. And so I, I would have to give you an A+. Creating change in a business is never easy. I mean, have you ever tried to move the microwave in the break room? But that's especially true when change involves questions of identity, belonging, and the fundamental values of your organization. These are questions that the whole nation is trying to answer. And what you do with your business will help shape the future, not only for your employees, but for how businesses run in the next 10, 20, and 50 years. Start the same way you would with implementing any big change by assessing your current situation and creating measurable steps to get where you want to go. Buy-in from leadership is critical. Talk to other companies in your industry and share best practices. But remember, what works for someone else might not work for you. Most of all, focus on your employees and doing right by them, and you'll see incredible benefits. I'd like to thank Myra Caldwell of Cadence Bank and Tori Farmer of KPMG for their tireless work. Tough conversations are a lot easier when you feel safe and secure, and that's exactly the environment that Myra and Tori have cultivated. In Good Companies is a podcast from Cadence Bank, member FDIC, equal opportunity lender. Sheena Cochran is our production coordinator. Our executive producer is Danielle Cornell, with writing and production from Andrew Ganim and sound design and mixing by Alex Bennett at Lower Street Media. I'm your host, Patrick Pacheco. If you've made it this far and you got something out of the episode, why don't you go out and give us a five-star rating in your podcast app? It's the best thing you can do to help the show grow and reach more people. And join us next week because when you're with us, we're in good companies. This podcast is provided as a free service to you and is for general informational purposes only. Cadence Bank makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, completeness, or timeliness of the content in the podcast. The podcast is not intended to provide legal, accounting, or tax advice and should not be relied upon for such purposes. To the extent that this podcast includes predictions about the economy, these predictions are subject to a number of variables and you should confer with your legal, accounting, and tax advisors for their input regarding the possible outcomes of any economic subject matter discussed herein.